0: So throughout this Dumping Jezebel series that we're wrapping up this morning, I reviewed some of the literary and cinematic villains, the greatest ones of all times, but I think I saved the best one for last. No, it's not Hannibal Lecter or Norman Bates or Nurse Ratched or even Dracula. It's a creature from the dark depths of the ocean. It's Jaws. I remember watching Jaws for the first time when I was a child, and then not wanting to even go into the swimming pool, let alone the ocean. I thought when I was swimming in the neighborhood pool, I was going to turn around, and that bad boy was going to be right there. Well, I guess it was a bad girl because Jaws was technically a female shark, just to clarify all that. Experts have said that no movie has had a greater impact on the American psyche than Jaws. You see, generation after generation was pushed into worry and anxiety about going into the ocean. On a small side note, we actually have an exclusive picture that we need to share with you this morning. We found this is actual footage of a, star, of a shark stepping on a Lego, which of course, if you've had children and you've stepped on a Lego before, you can resonate with that picture. See, the Bible talks a lot about insecurity and worry and anxiety, and typical, typically when the Bible talks about these things, it talks about it in terms of villains such as King Saul or Cain or Joseph's brothers or Judas Iscariot. And there's no greater story in the Bible that addresses this better than the story of Moses. And for our focus in our dumping Jezebel, boldly stepping forward beyond life's greatest obstacles, we turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 4. Now, There's another story that comes to mind when he's thrust into leadership and insecurity and worry and anxiety. Moses is that story, but you have to understand the backstory of Moses to understand where we are going with our text. If you recall, Moses was born into a home of a Hebrew family in Egypt. Moses' family came to a very difficult decision where they left his fate up to God by putting him in a basket and sending him down the Nile because at this time the Egyptian pharaoh was killing all of the Hebrew uh, babies. They had grown too much in population, but we learned that as fate would have it, he sent down the Nile and who finds him except but Pharaoh's daughter who raised him up as her son. And growing up as a prince of Egypt, Moses eventually learned of his true lineage. And he saw that the the Egyptians were forcing labor upon the people in such an awful way that one day he snaps, killing one of the taskmasters who was whipping a Hebrew slave fiercely. And so out of fear of his life, Moses runs into the countryside. There he goes into hiding for many years. He's married. He begins a new life. And in his absence, a new pharaoh rises up and puts even harsher mandates on the Hebrew people in slavery. The people were in anguish. One day, Moses was out tending his flocks, and he came across an interesting sight. He sees a bush burning. And Moses, being a curious fellow, decided that he would take a closer look, and stepping towards this burning bush would change his life forever. Exodus 3-4 reads, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face. And was afraid to look at God." When you look at this story with fresh eyes, you can see just the absurdity of this moment. Not only is this bush burning, but it's not burning up. And as if that wasn't enough, the bush begins to speak to Moses by name. This reminds me of that glorious scene from The Three Amigos where they come across the singing bush, but we don't have time to get into that this morning. But I love how Moses takes it with good stride. He immediately starts to respond to this bush as if it's something you do on a normal day. And it says this in verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land that is good and spacious. The land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So you can imagine that Moses is cruising along in agreement with God as God goes down the list of problems in Egypt and for the Hebrew people and their suffering. Then God says specifically, I am sending you to go take care of this. And that's when Moses throws on the brakes. And Moses had legitimate reasons to be insecure. You can just hear his mind as he's processing what God is saying. Let's get a couple things straight, God. I am a shepherd now. I'm no longer a prince in Egypt. I am a fugitive in Egypt, a criminal and a threat to the throne. I am a Hebrew who is now the type of people who are being subjugated, and if you hadn't forgotten already, the, the, the Egyptian pharaoh is the, the most powerful ruler on earth, and you know that I've got speech issues with my stutter and my stammer, and let's not forget that I might be going crazy because I'm talking to a bush right now. See, Moses' response to God is legitimate. I'm not good enough I don't have the answers. I can't talk in front of other people, let alone in front of Pharaoh. So let, let me just stay here where it's safe and unknown. You see, Moses had legitimate reasons to be insecure. But will Moses let his insecurities keep him from doing something extraordinary? You see, many of us can relate to Moses. In fact, one of the most common insecurities is public speaking. Researchers show that the most common insecurities are connected to our relationships with others, our work, our school, our performance as individuals, our finances, our our health, our responsibilities. Nevertheless, it's not uncommon for people to feel like they don't fit in, that they're not good enough, that they won't get it right, that they'll fail. People feel insecure about what tomorrow brings, our our children, our family, our spouses, our jobs, the upcoming football season, debt and bills, undiagnosed medical issues, disadvantages, loneliness, workload, being disconnected from what's happening in the world, being left out, being late, being formed enough. You see, for many, there is a timidity when when you feel that you're not good enough or smart enough or experienced enough when it comes to your gender or your identity or your economic status or your ethnicity. Researchers have actually found that men and women, the most common insecurities are quite the same. It, it comes around job security, upward mobility, relationship stability, financial security, body image, emotional intimacy, sexuality, not meeting expectations, and, and the exhibiting emotions that, that are so difficult to come around in our life. See, our insecurities leave our voices unheard, our thoughts unheeded, our actions unnoticed, and they cause us to turn inward like a a turtle securely fastened within its shell, except the world continues around us. Life continues to happen. People still have needs. And the exchange between Moses and God goes on in verse 12 it says, And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? You see, timidity and insecurity are pouring out of Moses. He is made to feel as if he has the capabilities and position that matters, and yet he's dealing with all this anxiety and worry and these questions that are building up within him about his ability to perform as a leader. And we often look at the story of Moses as if he was faithful to the Hebrew religion, believing that there was one God and following those customs. We forget that Moses was raised as an Egyptian prince, which meant he would have been familiar with all of the Egyptian gods and worship practices. Then he went to Midian, and he would have become familiar with all of their gods and customs and practices. So when God speaks to Moses through a bush, Moses has no idea what God is speaking to him. And so he wants clarity. He wants to know whose authority he's going by, who is going to say who sent him, why would people even listen to him in the first place. When we spend our lives feeling insecure about our relationships and our family and our friendships and our work and our financial well-being and the future and our abilities and how others view us and how we feel about our bodies and expressing ourselves and making our voice heard and potential rejection and failure, all that compounds in this feeling of anxiety and worry, we can relate to exactly where Moses is in this moment, grasping at straws, trying to find a reason not to go forward. Researchers at the University of Chicago did an experiment on young male rats, and they, they were presented with unfamiliar food bowls and tunnels and bricks uh, that the rats had to encounter. And those hesitant to explore the mystery uh, objects were classified as what was called neophobic. And, and the researchers found that neophobic rats produced a high-level stress hormone typically involved in the fi- flight or flight response within the human body as they faced strange situations. And the hesitant and neophobic rats continued to have this high level of hormones at random times in their life indicating that timidity was fixed and stable trait within them. And and this this team set out to examine the cultivating effects or the cumulative effects of that personality trait on the rat's health. And what they found was that the timid rats were 60% more likely to die at any given time as opposed to their fellow rats. In other words, the worrying rats die a lot younger than their contemporaries. You see, timidity and insecurity give way into worry and anxiety in our life. Anxiety and, and worry affect us physically and psychologically and spiritually. Have you ever battled the, the what-ifs, the questions, those consuming things that happen within us? Anxiety of our insecurities become fixated in our, our minds, distancing us from what's in the present. And anxiety builds tension within our soul. Who cares about biting our fingernails as we face anxious situations when anxiety gives way into sleepless nights, into headaches, into muscle tension and nausea and shortness of breath and chest pain and heart palpitation and stomach ulcers and something even more severe. You see, our insecurities are quite possibly eating us from the inside out. A few years back when we were in North Carolina, I came out of the Christmas holiday, and I had this really bad tightness in my chest. And at first, I thought it was just something viral or maybe an upper respiratory illness, but I couldn't seem to kick it. And so when the tightness got worse, it led to shortness of breath. So I scheduled an appointment with my doctor. He ran an EKG. He checked my blood pressure. He ran a blood test. And then he sat down with me and said, What do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a bi-professional pastor, meaning I pastor a church full-time, and then I help run this National Church Start program full-time. And his response was clear and resolute. you got to take it easy. He said, on paper, you are very healthy, but your stress and your blood pressure is through the roof. You can maintain this workload if you learn to take better care of yourself and how you manage your stress. See, that's this exchange with Moses and God. It comes to this breaking point after Moses has all these questions, has all these reasons, wants to know who's sending him, by what authority can he go by, and God says this in verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You See, what's fascinating about this response from God, I am who I am, God says, the name Yahweh. This is the first time it appears within Scripture. It's derived from the Hebrew word that literally means, I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. See, God is proclaiming that God's very existence is existence. There's no existence outside of God. God conveys that this cosmic and existential power is compelling and empowering and sending forth Moses out of this obscure desert and into the Egyptian empire. The I am is within you and sending you. But do you realize that the same I am is sending us forth into our lives with power and strength and confidence? I'm reminded of a passage from 2 Timothy. Scholars have called 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus the pastoral letters. And while there are some personal notes to the person he's writing to, Paul is is giving more doctrinal and leadership direction to Timothy and the churches. And by its very nature and content, we understand that Timothy was in a challenging place. He was young. He was very inexperienced. And yet, Paul entrusted him to lead these churches. Timothy is a candidate for worry and anxiety and insecurity. In fact, Paul addresses this when he writes this in chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I am remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. See, Paul knows the pressure that's on Timothy. He knows because he thrust it on him. Except Paul plays the God card, reminding him that God is the one that put him in this place and has gifted him to lead in this moment. And by reading 1 Timothy, you know that this young pastor is is not an easy place because Paul has coached him through managing conflict, combating false teachers, the heart and soul of the church, raising up new leaders. No small task is what Paul writes in 1 Timothy. And then he begins this in 2 Timothy, by saying that God has not given you a spirit of timidity. This Greek word here only appears once in the entire New Testament, and it's right here. It means fearfulness or cowardice. Paul is not exactly winning Timothy over by telling him, don't have the spirit of a coward, insisting that maybe he's showing that in his life. Look back at what it says in verse 6. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of your hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I love the imagery Paul paints here, the spirit of God as a flame. He's echoing the other passages of the Bible that refer to God's presence, God's spirit as this blazing flame. In fact, it will be a pillar of fire that will lead the Hebrew people through the wilderness wanderings. That was the spirit of God. Recall the fire of God that came down from heaven to burn up the water-soaked sacrifice in the story of Elijah. That was the spirit of God. A flame burned eternally in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem that represented the very essence of God's Spirit among the people. Peter compares the Spirit of God to a refiner's fire that's taking out the impurities of our life and making us more like God. Of course, we consider the story of Pentecost. The Spirit. Filled the people like a wildfire. You see, Paul is reminding Timothy that this fierce power of God's Spirit is within and among us as we face timidity and insecurities and anxiety and worry. And coming off this National Parks road trip we had in Colorado, I'm reminded of how you properly build a campfire. You can't just throw wood down on on a pile, squeeze some lighter fluid on it, and then toss a match on there. It'll light, but it'll go out pretty quickly. Now, if you want to build a proper campfire, then you need to stack wood properly, either with a square shape or a teepee style, and you you place your smaller kindling in the middle, but you give plenty of space with the large wood. See, that's important for oxygen to breathe into the fire, so when you light it, And it catches the kindling. It provides air to fan the flame into what you desire. That's what Paul is comparing the Spirit of God to. That God is not just a flame, but God is breathing life. God is breath in our life. I'm reminded of the creation narrative in Genesis 1 that tells us that God spoke and creation became. It's the Hebrew word amar. But in chapter 2 of Genesis, it gives us a more intimate account. It says that God, nephat, God breathed life into existence. You see, this is not some distant act of God, but this is a very intimate God who breathes life into us. The same Spirit of God that breathed life into existence is the same Spirit of God that spoke to Moses through the burning bush, that helped him face off against Pharaoh, who who led the people out of slavery, who parted the Red Seas, who, who marched them towards the promised land. What Paul is calling Timothy is the invitation of Jesus to allow God to, to breathe life into our soul. And I think that's the first step in overcoming timidity and insecurities and the subsequent worry and anxiety that comes with it. Do we create space in our life to allow the Spirit of God to breathe into us? We're sometimes overcome with insecurity and anxiety that we we cannot even manage it, that we, that we forget that there is this fan of a flame, there is this Spirit of God that wants to breathe life into us. And the life of the Spirit breathed on the disciples is a, is a beautiful pattern that's re- repeated again and again with the Scriptures we we see that God is near to us, that God is always breathing in. God is not distant and far from us. The very act of breathing in and out reminds us that God is here, that God's spirit dwells within and around us to breathe life into us, to breathe love and self-discipline and power is what Paul writes to Timothy. That word power can translate into strength. The word love refers to Christ's love for us. The word self-discipline means wisdom or good judgment or prudence. So God is breathing in strength and love and wisdom necessary to face all timidity, all insecurities, all worry and all anxiety. But we must let the Spirit of God breathe life into us. We must create space in our life that opens us up to the possibility of God's Spirit. And the last thing I think we should see from the text this morning, from this exchange with Timothy and Paul to Moses' interaction with God through the burning bush, is the resolute invitation to engage in meaningful and ongoing conversations with the I am, do you talk to God? Do you talk to God daily? Do you talk to God about your insecurities and your worry and your anxiety? What would it look like and what would happen in our life journey if we had meaningful conversations with God throughout the day? Do you believe that meaningful and ongoing conversations with God? relief and bring solutions that rise up within us to defeat our anxieties and worry and timidity? Do you believe that through meaningful and ongoing conversation with God that you can step forward with the spirit of power and love and self-discipline? You see, I think God is inviting us through the story of Moses and Timothy to become a people of prayer because it is through prayer that the Spirit of God gives us insight and equips us to deal with whatever comes our way. You see, Moses goes forth from this place not with perfect courage and strength. He will continue to battle with his insecurities of God's calling in his life. However, he was open and and faithful to the Spirit of God to empower Him to overcome these things and do extraordinary things. God wants to do extraordinary things in you. To live into your uniqueness and giftedness and strengths and passions and dreams and voice and story. God wants to do extraordinary things through you and your relationships and family and friendships and workplace and neighborhood and community and across cultural and racial and economic and political boundaries. God wants to do extraordinary things through us, University Baptist Church, to be the transformational presence of love and courage and change. So may we step beyond just talking about becoming a people of prayer, and may we move forward being a people of power and boldness because the Spirit is breathing life into us minute by minute. May we choose to dump Egypt and Pharaoh and the things that cause worry and anxiety and timidity. Instead, let us breathe the Spirit of God, living into a life of power and love and self-discipline. Let's enter into a time of reflection this morning, silently contemplating.